Sustainability-led innovation. The sustainability challenge. Now, maybe you're a pessimist, seeing dire threats in global warming, worrying about the rate in which we're using up the planet's resources, concerned at how we're carelessly throwing the litter of our thoughtless consumption for later generations to pick up. Or maybe you're an optimist, seeing new opportunities in this changing world perspective, shifting to low-carbon solutions, cleaner energy, smarter homes and cities, unlocking new technological possibilities to reshape the way we are able to interact and survive. Either way, it's likely that innovation right across the spectrum, from new products and services, through new and improved processes, to rethinking our underlying business and social models. Either way, it's likely that innovation will be involved. And this raises some important questions about how we approach the management of this. Is it simply a case of business as usual, or do we need to adjust and extend our routines for handling this kind of innovation challenge? We've seen this before. This isn't a new conversation. Back in the 1970s, there was a wave of concern about reaching the limits to growth, and many influential commentators predicted massive changes in a negative direction. In the event, we're still around and have managed to survive their worst forecasts, but not by standing still. The period since the publication of things like the influential Club of Rome report in 1972, that period has been one of continuing and radical innovation, of changes to products, services and processes, things that give us hope that this time around we can meet the sustainability challenge. Organisations such as the Influential Science Policy Research Unit grew up around this time, back in the 1970s, and made an important contribution to our understanding of how innovation could make a difference and ameliorate some of the problems. And one of their key contributions was exploring the idea of long waves of change, shifts in techno-economic paradigms, which offered a way of understanding long-term changes in our environment and how innovation plays a key role in driving them. In particular, Chris Freeman and Carlotta Perez worked extensively on this, and they highlight two key points. First of all, it's the interplay of social, economic and technological forces which create upswings and downswings around growth which means that we need to understand today's environmental challenges in the context of such complex systems. And secondly, it's very difficult when we're living in one paradigm to imagine what life might be like in an alternative one. We are understandably preoccupied right now with so much of the negative story around climate change, resource depletion, pollution and waste, we find it hard to think about a different world in which these problems may have been solved or at least ameliorated. And yet, as a recent article in New Scientist argues, it's possible to construct such an alternative narrative, in their case, by imagining a science fiction scenario for a net zero world in 2050. And then we can backcast from that optimistic vision to find the key action points around which we can innovate today. Now, actually, innovation's got a good track record of getting us out of various kinds of environmental trouble. 
It's not by accident that we've survived as a species, despite limited physical strength or speed. Our ability to innovate is what's made the difference. And the way in which the current pandemic has been at least pushed back owes once again a lot to this capacity exerting itself. But innovation doesn't happen by accident. It needs organising and managing. It's much more than a flash of inspiration. That cartoon model of a bing flashing light bulb above someone's head is a poor guide as to how innovation really takes place. The good news is that we know a lot about how to make this journey, creating value from ideas. Not least because we've been studying it for the past century, trying to codify the recipe for success. The not-so-good news is that innovation is a moving target. We might learn to manage it and develop the ability to deliver a stream of product, process and service innovations, but our knowledge base is one which derives from experience. And there will always be new challenges in technologies and environments which are going to require us to update or even rethink our innovation models. Perhaps the biggest shift from the last century to this one has been in the need to rethink how we work at a system level. Innovation as a multiplayer game in which we need to build and manage networks of partners to create value. Now, if we look at this question of sustainability-led innovation, there's increasing evidence to suggest that adopting such targets as part of mainstream innovation strategy is accelerating. An increasing number of organisations are moving into this space. And arguably, the debates shifted away from that early cosmetic activities in which organisations sought to improve their image or strengthen their corporate social responsibility credentials through those high-profile activities designed to show how green they were. No, we're moving now to a second phase in which increasingly strong legislation provides a degree of forced compliance. The frontier is now one along which leading organisations are seeking to exploit opportunities within this space, as they recognise the need for innovation to deal with resource instability and scarcity, energy security and other systemic efficiencies across their supply chains. But what does this mean for how we organise and manage innovation? Are our current models for handling the process sufficient Or will the nature and pace of change be so disruptive that it requires radically new responses? What kinds of innovation ecosystem might emerge? And how will current players position themselves within it? What new skills will we need within and between our organisations? What tools, techniques and approaches will help equip established players and aspiring new entrants to manage effectively? What do we need to do more of, less of, and differently in the ways in which we manage innovation. Well, one helpful model for thinking about innovation strategy in this context of sustainability is one we developed with a Canadian organisation, the Network for Business Sustainability. We looked at a wide range of literature and cases trying to distill the practices and experience around sustainability-led innovation. And we developed a simple model. It's got two axes. The vertical one has to do with the extent of innovation, from incremental, doing what we already do a little better, through to radical, doing something completely different. 
and the other, the horizontal axis, moving the focus from the enterprise level through to wider multiplayer ecosystems. This model allows us to look at three distinct approaches to innovating for sustainability. At the incremental level, where we're dealing very much with the local, the enterprise, we're dealing with operational optimization. We're doing what we already do, but better. By the time we move to the organizational level, but thinking about radical change, we're in the world of organizational transformation. And at the extreme, when we move to the system, the inter-organization level, and we think about radical change, we're really building systems that will enable society-level changes. Not surprisingly, most of the reported examples of SLI, sustainability-led innovation, have concentrated so far around that do-better agenda. Many of those eco-efficiency type of projects, things for finding new and more efficient ways of doing more with less, these kinds of projects are certainly in this category. For example, reducing carbon footprint through supply chain improvements, or switching to less energy and resource intensive products and services, which deliver equivalent value, but which can generate significant savings. And of course, the success over decades of the lean approach, which targets elimination of waste of all kinds, underlines the power of such innovation. And by now, the strategy question that should pose in any boardroom, public or private, is simply one of why not? It's a no-brainer. Doing what we do better makes sense. But there are an increasing number of activities which climb up the ladder moving into radical innovation within the organisation. For example, Interface Floor have been active in this space for over 25 years, and this company provides an excellent illustration of what can be achieved, and the economic case for doing so. Interface have cut greenhouse gas emissions by 82%, fossil fuel consumption by 60%, waste by 66%, water use by 75%, and increased sales by 66%, doubled earnings, and raised profit margins. To quote Ray Anderson, founder of Interface, as we climb Mount Sustainability, we are doing better than ever on bottom line business. This is not at the cost of social or ecological systems, but at the cost of our competitors who still haven't got it. Now, strategy is all about vision, mission, and values. And it's clear to see this template at the heart of many startups. Anita Roddick's body shop emerged as a successful global player through having this identity from its startup stages and right at its core. And it's something mirrored in the Brazilian company Natura, who now own the brand. And of course, here the strategy question in the boardroom is much more challenging. It's centered on the identity question. Who are we? What kind of business do we aspire to be? and driving innovation model innovation from that. It's harder to do this in large organizations since it may involve significant rethinking, but it can work through sustained catalytic change agency and top level commitment, as the case of Philips shows. Now Philips have been working for some time on a mixture of do better, do different and breakthrough innovation projects in their sustainability-led innovative activity. This covers internal processes and the wide range of products and services which they offer. 
Since 2004, they've been working on green products, things which offer significant environmental improvements in one or more of what they targeted as green focal areas. Energy efficiency, packaging, hazardous substances, weight, recycling, disposal, lifetime reliability. It's paying off. In 2010, these green products accounted for 37% of their sales, resulting from an investment of around a billion euros. By 2017, this was over 60% and it continues to rise. Now, whilst there's quite extensive experience around the first two levels of our model, the challenge of moving to thinking and working at a system level is still significant. And the boardroom strategy question here is very much around who else or what else do we need to make this change happen? We can't do it alone. And that opens up the big challenge of collective innovation through collaboration and partnership. We know this model can work. These days, most discussion is about innovation platforms and ecosystems. And we look to players like Amazon as examples. But they represent an older model, one in which creating value networks of complementary assets and mobilizing alignment and commitment to shared vision across them matters. A century before Jeff Bezos, Messrs Sears and Roebuck pioneered the system of remote retailing with their mail order business. It was a great idea, but to make it work, they needed to assemble a lot of pieces of the jigsaw puzzle and make them work. Selling's one thing, capturing and processing orders, arranging for stock to be available, for storage, distribution, handling logistics over a large area, and very importantly, managing cash flow so they didn't sit on the lot of stock but managed to get paid up front. Theirs wasn't a single component innovation, they built an ecosystem. And they were smart enough to recognize they didn't need to own or control everything, as long as they could orchestrate it and coordinate it. So major manufacturers and other players came into the ecosystem tent, all sharing in the value creation. We've seen the power of such systems thinking in the lean story. Toyota's widely recognized as having pioneered the kind of cooperative supply network which shares a vision and innovates across the system to enhance productivity on many dimensions. This isn't management by edict. Toyota continues to invest in building system level capacity by sharing knowledge, lending guest engineers, providing training and development and other inputs to raise the overall capability of the network. And there's plenty of potential for such ecosystems in the sustainability world. For example, Interface 4's Networks program is attempting to mobilize a new supply route for Nylon 6, an important raw material in their business of carpet tile manufacture. Now, whilst this normally comes from a petrochemical feedstock, Interface are attempting to mobilize fishermen in the Philippines and elsewhere to recycle their damaged and discarded nets as a source of recyclable material. In the process, not only contributing to a resource-saving innovation, but also to poverty reduction and economic development at what's sometimes called the bottom of the pyramid. Systems thinking lies at the heart of success in this level of innovation, not least in the concept of the circular economy, which reflects the potential of seeing a zero-waste connected system.
If we were looking for a role model for such an approach, we might find it in the work of James Brindley, the pioneer of the canal system which he helped to create and which underpinned the British Industrial Revolution. He worked with water all his life, and the idea of flow was not an abstract metaphor for him. His many innovations were all about enabling a complex system to operate. It was all about flow. These included reducing the size of the passageway to conserve water through extensive pumping and hydraulic innovations, his pioneering use of puddling clay to line the canals and prevent water loss, his lock designs, his following the natural contours of the landscape to reduce the need for expensive earthworks, and his use of tunnels and aqueducts when this wasn't possible. He even pioneered the concept of containerization, speeding up the flow of traffic along the canals by reducing loading and unloading times. Fast forward 250 years, and we're seeing the same innovation management challenges emerging around making things work at systems level. There's no doubt innovation will help us to meet the challenge of sustainability, but we're probably going to need to expand our thinking in order for that to happen.